You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast <laughs> with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me. I love getting into the journey of their lives um, and why they're doing what they're doing, how it happened, the twists and turns, all of it, not just their most shiny moment. Today, I have Rochelle Fredson on the podcast, and we do get into her story, but we also talk about what she does a lot more because Rochelle is someone that I used to support me in my book writing process in the fact of actually getting a book deal because, man, is it a process. And um, she is amazing at what she does. And if anybody has any inkling of ever wanting to write a book, she's a great resource, whether you follow her on Instagram, listen to her podcast, or sign up to do her coaching courses. Um, so we do talk a little bit about, a little bit, a little bit more about uh, publishing and how it kind of works and like being ready to write a book. I don't know. I hope you enjoy it. Please, if you haven't yet, go pre-order my book at ftheshouldsdothewants.com. Well, you can order it at any bookseller. At that website, it just has, it shows you like, here's a link to, oh, you want to buy it on Target. You want to buy it on Amazon. You want to buy it at your local bookstore. But then also on that page, whether you've already ordered it or you're going to go right now today, right now and order it, you come back and enter your information, just your name, email address, and your receipt number or order number from the book. And you get access to three awesome bonus gifts. One, you get immediate access to a five-part video series that goes into and supports you in five of the toughest shoulds that I think we struggle with. Um, so immediate access to that, you get an exclusive invite to the live virtual book release party and workshop that is going to be happening May 17th. It will be alive, but if you have pre-ordered, you will get a link to the recording only if you have pre-ordered. And my friend Robin Euclid is going to start it with me and do a guided grounding session. I'm going to be holding a unshould yourself workshop in the middle. And then Jason Mraz, who wrote the foreword to the book, will be closing it out with a conversation and a few songs. There's also, you're also going to get a exclusive tapping meditation from Jessica Ortner co-founder of The Tapping Solution. So please go pre-order the book. Pre-orders help new authors a lot or any author, but also go claim those awesome gifts. You will only get those with pre-order. That's it. Okay. So go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com. If you did enter your info, by the way, check your spam because you'll get an email right away after you, you, um, after you enter your info. All right, let's get into the conversation. Hi, Rochelle. So, Rochelle, we're going to get into your journey as to how you got to where you are today, which I usually end with. <laughs> I usually end with the current time, but um I want I want to start right away with how I know you, which is so I mostly the people listening to this know I have a book coming out called F the Shoulds Do the Once and I was introduced to you. I, I heard your name mentioned for a while before I reached out. And so many people, because I knew that I wanted to write a book for 
I want to say over 10 years. And at one point I was like, I have Facebook memories that come up all the time from like over 10 years ago. Like I'm writing here. I am writing here. Like me being out in New York city, like at these writing spots. I don't know what I was writing. Cause I never, <laughs> that's all right. You were flexing like, the writer's muscle <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I was like all for it then. And then some opportunities came up in my life when I took those. And I have been good with my journey of when it happened and have not should have, and you did this and feel bad about not doing it earlier. But anyway, when I finally, like, I had been watching publishing for a while and friends that got book deals, and I knew some about the process and the book proposal and this. So I was, like, learning details. And that 10 years ago, Gabby Bernstein did tell me to buy the book, like, how to write a book proposal. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I – no, I probably used it back then. But in this pro- in this actual time of writing a book proposal, I did not open it. But anyway, so I knew about it and was watching. And then when I finally was like, okay, this is the year I'm going to do it. This is the year I'm going to do it. And um, another friend, you know, too, and people would be like, yeah, you know, like just hire a a book coach or just hire something, something to help you. And I am such a, I'm frugal. Well, on some areas, first of all. I've always been afraid to spend money based because of how I grew up, how I grew up. It felt there was so much focus on money and not having enough, even though it felt like we had plenty and did all the things, but there was a stress of money. So I always have this fear of spending money, but I'm also a like, I got this. I'm a do it yourself or let me do it. So I was like, that's great that those things exist and maybe I'll get there, but first I'm going to try on my own. And this is one of the, so I'm so excited about you because honestly, if I had known more about you and your offerings, I can't say like, again, I don't feel bad that I went the route that I did, that I really tried hard to do it on my own first. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I sort of, I knew that I was like, I might eventually hire someone, but let's just see what I can do. But oh my, would it have saved me so much time? And I think really would have helped me if I had earlier on taken that advice. <laughs> I mean, it's a story I hear all the time, especially on the, I was writing a book for 10 years type of idea, right? I've been talking about it and thinking about it and sitting in coffee shops all over the world, you know, making these ideas uh, land on the page. Um, so it's not unusual, but I do think to your point about investment, I mean, investing in ourselves, I think is one of the hardest decisions to make. I did it myself recently with a business coach after four years in business, like doing it myself, doing all the things and and just, you know, plugging along and everything going well, but then going, oh my gosh, I might need to look outside of myself for, you know, a fresh set of eyes and some advice and, and you know, get some expertise. So I do think it's just a hard decision to say, I might need some help with this. And as you experienced, when people enter thought partnership around something creative like this, it is so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. I mean, and I get it too. And that's why like, I always understand when I'm offering any sort of coaching or whatever, like I understand that struggle where people are like, if you're even considering like, you know, that, then it's like, you know, you're like ready for some sort of change or growth or support, or you want to do this thing. But there's this resistance, but usually it's again, and every time I've invested in myself, whether it was, you know, buying my Peloton bike, which like these big purchases are like, yeah, paying someone to support me. It's like, I will have this. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like before I spend the money, I've never once, as soon as that money is out of my bank account or on my credit card or whatever, I've never once, it's sort of just like, ah, it's happening. Like, it's like, I've never missed the money, even if it was like, okay, great. And now I need more money to pay this bill or whatever. It wasn't like 
that was a bad choice or I shouldn't have done that. Or <laughs> Yeah. And truthfully, I think people spend less when they, when they decide to get a coach earlier in the process. I think you spend less in the long run and less time, certainly, because I see a lot of people come to me that have hired um, different kind of types of support to handle um, you know, different parts of the proposal or get, you know, a read on it or feedback. And they're sort of outsourcing to a lot of different people instead of coming to one, you know, house that's going to help you from beginning to end. And I see people spend a lot of money before they get to me on a lot of different programs and support. And they they go, oh my gosh, I wish I would have found you earlier in the process. So similar to what you're saying, but you know, this is this is such a, a deep and profound love for me to help people through this process. It is definitely one of those things that feels like I always should be doing this work. Um, and I know I'm not supposed to say should on this show, but I always desire to do this work. I always wanted to do this work and now I'm here. And it is really incredible to watch people transform through something as simple as a book process. People don't think it's going to change their whole lives. And I've seen it do exactly that. I've seen people leave toxic relationships, start new arms of their business. I've seen them just grow their confidence and feel more empowered in the world. And it's just so cool to watch and be in partnership with people around that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I did end up whatever. And I also too, I, I might've hired you earlier if I'd heard the people that I had heard use you were like, she's like the magic last touch. <laughs> so that's how I, so I didn't even realize like the full offerings that you had. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think I probably still would have been the same the way that I did it. And I'm still I'm at whatever. The way that I went is the way that I went. It was and I always, and again, like I knew that where I was like, I might end up hiring people. Yeah. I knew it. And I ended up hiring an editor first that was more affordable. But she actually, I think that still was a good choice, even though I went to you because that for like the sample choppers, that really helped me in the fact of like how to write. Oh my gosh, my first like sample chapters and book proposal itself is hilarious. Like, I mean, you... I do. I think, do I still hold the record for like longest sentence ever written? <laughs> you may. I, I haven't been counting, but you were pretty impressive at it. <laughs> but so that plus paragraphs. And so yeah. it was like such even like. <laughs> I have certain clients that latch on to like a word. I had a client come back to me the other day and say, I just finished doing the final read of my manuscript. And I use the word therefore so many times that people are going to think I'm in Downton Abbey. It's just like, I don't, she's like, I don't talk like that in real life. But when I write, it's like, and therefore, and it, it, it's hilarious. I have another client who uses another sort of like word crutch like that. It's very funny. But to your point about hiring different types of support, there's no one right way to, to write a book. There's just not like people need different types of support. It's just that I think that people avoid getting help in this area because they try and tough it out on their own. And it really is valuable to get another lens on it. Well, and that's why like, I could have, after using um, the editor, which, with, which, which is Kristen McGinnis, um, and yeah, and so she helped me a lot. And like, really like that was so helpful of, of just even me being like, right, this is how to write paragraphs and sentences and even like, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, again, I could have sent it in from that point. Like in my age, I had an age. Like that was too. I had my shitty proposal. <laughs> shitty yet powerful shitty. proposal. <laughs> shitty yet powerful proposal did get me an agent. Yes. Who said, your proposal <laughs> needs a lot of work, but I think you're on to something. 
That happens far more than people realize. And then it was probably almost a year. I mean, that was the world shut down during that point. But until like I finally was like, okay, I did this. I did this. So I could have probably said, let's go with it. Um, And I think my agent was even happy with it from that point. And I said, you know what? No, I'm going to send it to Rochelle because at the same point, even though I was afraid of spending money, I also was like, this is might be my only chance. So it, I, I, it was the scary thing of like, do I pay her to make, you know, like to make what could be tiny changes. And a lot of it, I think your suggestions, it wasn't that much, but I do could tell how much I was like, I got it right away. Like, wow. Yeah. These small changes, I see how the people that are receiving proposals are like so many, I don't even know how many they get in a week, like how this would help them visualize the book more in the world. Because that was, that was me on the other end of that table, you know, or on the other end of that, you know, computer screen nowadays, (laughs) um, where I was reading so many proposals each week, you know, inside of a publisher and just seeing some really obvious things that could have been enhanced and pulling in that PR and marketing background that I have. I really look at proposals in a different way beyond the editorial. So I think that that's what when I do sort of what we did together is these proposal reboots is I look at what people have already put together on their own. And then I just help them take it to the next level because I already know the questions the agents and the publishers are going to ask and they want answered within the material. So it's sort of having like, I'm already 20 miles down the road and I'm going to help you guys where you are. So I don't know, it's a lot of fun, but it's a unique lens from the acquisitions PR marketing side. Okay. We're going to get into like how you got there. Um, but yes. So for, since we're on this point too. So besides that, so like when I knew of Rochelle, it was like this last touch, but now since I've been following you on social media and everything since then, which has been a couple years now because the process is so long, <laughs> um, <laughs> then I am like, oh my gosh, like this group coaching program that you do, or just even like the tips you started your own podcast since then. And the tips that you share now on social media are just so, so great. So seriously, if you are out there and like have any inkling of, oh, I want to write a book someday, I think like I honestly, yeah, you're just such a great place to get content and inspiration and to get out of your own way and learn these like things about the industry, but also just to like keep showing up for yourself and your dream and your idea. And so she doesn't just have one-on-one offerings. She has group offerings and um, yeah. It just, but I think too, it's like so many things we don't know. It feels like everything is so hard and so big and it's just easier to live in. It's so hard and so big. That's <laughs> it. No, that's like it. Make a step forward. <laughs> like people can't see me, but I'm nodding so big because this is it. There's, there's so much information online, yet a complete lack of transparency around how this industry works. And I was heartbroken for many, many years when people would arrive into the publishing process and have expectations that weren't going to be met because no one had told them how it was going to be. And so this that's why I started the Bounded Determined podcast, because I was like, people just don't have this information. And we all assume that they do, and they don't. And there's so much conflicting information, which is, quite frankly, a lot of it not not very good in, in guiding people in, in a direction that um, I don't think is is in their best interest. But I'm coming at it from a lens of, you know, what do people need to know so that their expectations can be met? right? What do they need to know about the timeline, how long it takes, because that's going to help people make better decisions for themselves. If someone wants to book out in, you know, 12 to 18 months, traditional publishing is not your model. 
that's going to take two, two and a half years at this point. So you might want to look at hybrid or self-publishing, right? So I'm just helping people make the best decisions for their own process without that agenda. So it's just, there's so much, there's so much that people need to know before they step into writing a book. Yeah. And let's said, like, I am a naturally curious person and I, I sort of like plant seeds for things and then like always keep open. So I knew a lot from, like I said, watching friends and, and asking questions along people's, you know, whatever. Like, I think again, probably two years before I even, at least a year before I even started writing my proposal, I remember having calls with every person I knew that would like reply to an email or phone message that had written a book and ask them about their experience. And they're and probably so traumatized they don't blah, blah. want to talk about it yet. <laughs> so many people were like, are you sure you want to write a book? <laughs> and like, and it's like, hard work, people. <laughs> and so, like, so many people were like trying to talk me out of it. And I remember being like, Jesus, does they not believe? Like, what? <laughs> I know, I know. I did a podcast episode recently on the the only prerequisite you need to have before you say yes to writing a book. And it's one of the most triggering questions that comes up for people. And that is why you? Why are you the one to write this book? Like, why are you the one that this needs to come from? Why are you the messenger on this? Because without coming to the book process, without you know, without the impact in mind and the mission in mind and the sense of self being strong and all those things, agents and publishers will feel that through the material. And so being able to answer why you is one of the most important questions people need to answer for themselves uh, because it will guide everything. You know, we don't like those triggering questions, but you know, I, I spent a long time reading proposals where you could just tell that the intentions weren't either the best or that there was uncertainty or a lack of confidence or, you know, and so we have to understand how we want to show up in the world and the change that we want to make through our books before we put pen to paper. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's triggering because it's such a fucking self-worth thing, you know, like why you, then it's like, cause I still have, you know, I'll be like, yes, me and this, this is going to change your life. And this is so life-changing. And I get emotional reading, you know, my own parts and passages. And then also be like, I I don't know. That's so normal. (laughs) You know, like, it's like, it's like in knowing that that's normal, but it is, you know, again, like, well, why me? Then it is like, oh, does that make me better than everyone else or this? Like we automatically can turn why me into like, look, we are each unique with our own. You can backgrounds and experiences and passions and insights to things to like why me can turn into who do you think you are? Like that's how it lands. That's right. And you you hit the nail on the head because that's exactly it. The answer for most people that they eventually get to is that their personal experiences and their stories are what make them the person to write this book. It hardly ever comes down to, I have all of these credentials. I've gone to school for 18 years or whatever it is. It really is the acknowledging and the accepting that what you've lived through can create impact for other people. And if you can't answer that question yet, I just want to give this disclaimer that it doesn't mean you shouldn't be writing. But when we look at the traditional publishing model, we often say that the first version of what you write is for you. The second version is for everybody else. So you can write to find out that answer. But what's ready for other people to read, maybe at, after you've sort of answered that question for yourself. That's funny. And I laughed because my first like sample chapters were like straight memoir, like 
so emotional writing and like that it took me so you know I was like so emotional writing these things like I'm getting emotional now <laughs> whatever that's the you those version. chapters got totally I mean I think a little ee, a little bit because it is it is like my, the book does still start with like the story of when my dad passed away and getting that news because that is where my like all of a sudden got the message to give up the word shit starts so the book still starts there but it's like a page or a couple paragraphs instead of uh, an entire <laughs> Yeah, it's so <laughs> but human. But I had to like really like go back into those moments. <laughs> it's true. And I think, you know, what I ask my students to do is, is when they have sort of, <laughs> we call it an emotional brain dump. Like you need to get all that on the page. Like it's so therapeutic and healing, but then you have to get space from it and come back and read it and say, what does the reader really need from me? to create this awareness or change in their own life. Cause it's not all of this, this half of this is for me. Half of this was for my healing, but what needs to remain to create impact for them. So it really is a process. What was something you shared the other day? We're going to get to your story after this, but that reminded me of something you shared something the other day. I don't know if you said it or if you were resharing what somebody else said, but something about like, if it, like if it had passed like seven to eight years, it was for you. Like, there was something about like sharing a personal story. Yeah. I don't know if this relates to anybody, but I was like, I remember being interested. No, it's from, no, it's from The Art of Memoir, I believe, which is a great book for anyone looking to write memoir. But th that the, the fact is that when you're writing and it's still very fresh, you don't have the distance and the perspective to, ha to take that story and have it really create um, truth. Right. So like the, when we're in it, we don't know what is truth yet. We're emotional. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discovery happening. You're unpacking things. But the more distance you get from an event that you want to write about helps the truth rise to the surface. Like, what was that really about? And that's what creates really strong memoir. So she was saying in that book that, that if, it, if you're writing about something that's happened you know, within seven years or something, yeah, give it a little bit more time. Like seven years is the the benchmark for her anyway, for when you can write something really productive in memoir. Interesting because, um, yeah, I mean, my book is not memoir, but it is a lot of me sharing personal stories and then like sharing like, you know, insights from that. But when I read that, I, it was interesting for me for one, two, because again, even though I'm like, it was, like I said, I went on my own journey of like, I'm writing a book over 10 years ago and then not. And I always felt good about that, but it also was kind of like interesting now. I was like, I, a lot of when I wrote this book, I'm sharing really old stories and sometimes and some whatever, but it, it was noticing that a lot of the real stories, like the real, real stories that I'm sharing that were, that I'm giving as deep examples were from over seven years ago. And, and like, I knew when I started writing the proposal, I was like, I think I needed to live all that experience, even though I gave up the word should in 2008. And that's technically what this is all about. It's taken me this long to like really see all of these deep implications and be able to have like a broader way to, to give it. And then I was interesting because I was like, again, saw that quote so quick, but it stuck with me. And I was like, wow, that's interesting that I did use a lot of like you know, these stories. And I'm so excited I get to share these life stories too and use them as examples, some that are like very vulnerable and painful. And I'm hoping that they will support others. But then there were some experience that while I was writing the book, things were happening and those went in the book, but I didn't share the actual story. Those were all using it, anytime that in the book, I was like going through something. And then I like went to write that I was like on the way to write it. And I was like processing 
that those ended up being tools that I used. And I was like, wow, I think that actually worked out well because I don't share what happened in those instances. But in my mind, and when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's when I was going through that one shitty time where I was like, okay, this is a tool, blah, blah, blah. And that didn't work. So try this where I was like, I'm in the mode of my tools aren't working when I'm really in this reactive mode. And so I ended up like figuring out like new tools. And I was like, oh, so I think like that sort of worked. Like the stories I'm using were from seven years ago. But when I'm like teaching the tools, they were from like live. Well, some of them were really old, but some were like, okay, I need a stronger tool because I'm really in this really feely place. And this tool is not yet working. That time needs some more processing. Well, that's the whole point where works in progress. Like anyone that delivers a tool and like this fix it 100% in the moment, you never have to read this chapter again is, is full of it because really, you know, we have to constantly refer back to our tools. So that makes complete sense to me. Which that is in several times in the book. I'm like, by the way, you're never going to get rid of this forever. Like, so please handle yourself with more compassion and ease. Oh, if you F up or whatever, please. I'm like, I hope my book isn't too much a downer of being realistic. Like, these are things you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life. No, I think that it's shining a light on them and this is how you can support yourself. Well, I love that transparency because I think if people get to the end of the book and they go, oh gosh, I'm not completely fixed, which I'm putting in air, air quotes they're going to feel like they failed in the material in some capacity. So by being really transparent about this is a process and you're going to keep coming back to these tools and this is life's work, right? This is not a quick fix it situation. Then you give them the freedom to to show themselves that compassion that you want them to. So it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And that's what I come back to because I even say, I think like early, I think I put it early in the book or even say it, but a lot of the like personal development, wellness, okay, we want to feel better and do better in our lives. I feel like we do. A lot of people can get stuck in the shoulds and the shame of like, oh, I'm not fixed yet. Oh, I just had a judgmental thought. So I'm not, you know, mindful enough yet or whole enough yet or whatever that thing is that I think a lot of (laughs) shoulds and shame come in from the place of wanting to better ourselves because we feel like we haven't fixed yet. We haven't been there yet. And I'm like, it's gonna, it's a lifelong process, y'all. Like give yourself some love. (laughs) Because we're operating as sort of solo, I don't know, I'm just, I'm picturing like Star Wars, like Jedis or something. Like we're operating as like solo fighters in a system that doesn't support that type of thinking, right? So we're constantly being served advertising and messaging and things like that that want to tell us we're not enough and that we should be something different and better. And so we're fighting this uphill battle because we don't have systems and institutions that support that kind of thinking. So you have to have the tools to keep coming back to because we can't wait for the system to meet us. Well, and it's also, it's like, what would they have to sell us? Yeah. (laughs) Just joy. (laughs) If you were good. For $19.99 every month, you could have joy. If we really trusted that we were enough as we are, what would people have to sell us? No. I know. It's wild. (laughs) From foods, from clothes. Everything. (laughs) Everything. Anyway. Okay. Let's go. I'm going to go ahead and jump all the way back to when you were like growing up or when you're in high school, especially like, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up or like, where were you at in high school? Did you know what, like, Oh, I'm going to go here next. I'm going to do this. Or were you just sort of like, Oh, I don't know. I'm just taking the steps of life. You know, I feel like I toggled back and forth between being very shy and insecure in my first sort of couple years of, of adolescence and preteen. And then um, I found my way into drumming 
on accident. Drumming. Drumming, yes. So, um, and this ultimately is a story of confidence building, but I was I was kind of thrust into a situation I wasn't expecting. I was supposed to, <laughs> eighth grade, I was supposed to be in home ec, and my schedule was messed up. They put me in beginning band. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I thought I was going to be making brownies. Um, and they basically were like, well, here's the position that's not filled. And they handed me a pair of drumsticks. And the irony in that is that my dad was a drummer and still is for very, very, like he, when I was a kid, he used to take me, he would play in weddings um, and, and things like that. And so he would take me when I was little and I would just curl up down by the bass drum and oh. hang out while he was at weddings. So I've always had music in my... That's amazing. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, there's so many great photos of, of our adventures together. But I never really thought about adopting it for myself. Um, so, you know, I was put into this class and I was, they're like, we're not going to be able to move you. Like you're going to spend your semester in band. And I was like, well, all right, here we go. Came home with the drumsticks. And my dad was like, yes, like this is so exciting. Um, and I ended up being pretty good at it naturally. Um, and, you know, I had to learn things like reading music and all of that, but I felt challenged by it. And because I was good and I was the only girl, I was getting a lot of, you know, amazing feedback and attention that for someone who was previously shy was kind of like, oh, this feels kind of nice. Um, and so as I sort of got older and continued drumming, I had played with ideas of maybe broadcast journalism. Like when I think about, you know, when you fill out those questionnaires, what do you want to be someday? It was like teacher up until I was like old enough to really think about it. And I said, you know, I think journalism sounds really exciting to me. So that's ultimately what I went to college for was was communications journalism. It's me, Trisha, here bringing you a brief interruption to tell you slash remind you of some amazing ways that I am here to support you beyond the podcast. One, of course, go order my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once at FTheShouldsDoTheOnce.com and you can claim three free bonuses, one of which is immediate access to a bonus video series. Two, my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome. You can get it in the app or Google Play App Store. It's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to empower you. Make sure to go into the section with the three lines that says daily and set a time to get the reminder to check the app daily to get your note of love and inspiration and empowerment. Three, my shop, shop.yourdwellgist.com. I highly recommend the Daily Connection Journal and the insulated mugs and tumblers, which are only available for a limited time. Um, also, our best-selling gold, I mean, glass mugs with gold foil are back in stock. And I also have some one-on-one -on -one coaching spots that are now available. In the past, I only offered these one-on-one -on -one coaching spots in one way in the manager of integrity format that was very intensive. For the first time in oh, a very long time, I am now adding some different ways to work with me. If you go to yourdryologist.com backslash coaching, then you can fill out a form and schedule a call to see what you're looking for and how I can support you. You can also DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman. All right, I am here for you. I love you. I'm empowering you to freaking enjoy your life, to love yourself, to get out of your own way and to stop telling yourself that you're not enough.
it's a struggle. It's a daily struggle. And I am here for you and ready to support you in overcoming all of the stuff that holds us back in life. It's not an overcome it and bam, everything's better, but teaching you the awarenesses and tools that you can apply for the rest of your life. All right, go to yourjoyologist.com backslash coaching or DML, DM <laughs> at underscore Trisha Huffman or send me an email. All right, let's get back to the episode. Well, and so don't leave us hanging with the drumming. Did drumming just end up being something you did for fun throughout your entire like high school, but you were never like, no, I now I will be a professional it. drummer like my dad or no? You no, I kept doing it. I competed all over the world, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I really stuck with it until actually my sophomore year of college. So I played for a long time, a little over 10, 12 years probably, um, and loved it. It was also one of the hardest times in my life because I was bullied really badly in high school for, um, it was me and, and 28 boys and, uh, you had to compete for your spot. Right. And so I kept winning and they didn't love that. And so the other like boys that yeah. were drummers or wanted to be drummers were bullying. You. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Intensely, I remember a situation where they they um, stick my head in a toilet at school. They threw me in a dumpster full of wood chips and left me there during practice so that I'd be late to practice. Like when you have twenty eight boys after you, it was hard until until two broke from the pack and said, "This is not cool. What we're doing here." Um, and it ended up in a whole school thing, you know, meetings and potential expelling of students. And I said, no, that's, that's not what I want. You know, I didn't want to take that type of action, but I wanted them, you know, to learn from it. And so, you know, we all had a lot of meetings and things like that, but I had to choose for myself in that moment. I think the easier decision would have been to just give it up and walk away and say, I don't want to deal with this. This is a lot mentally, emotionally, physically. And I just didn't because it made me so happy. And there's a part of me that's so competitive, which is also why I love the work I do. I can tell you about that later, but I'm so competitive. Like I want people to win. I wanted to win. And so I kept at it. And um, eventually it, that just it faded away because they couldn't fight back anymore when I was sort of winning fair and square. So I went on to lead those kids for three more years. And some of them I'm, I'm now friendly with. But I just think that it's so hard in those really transformational years to decide how you want to be in the world and how you want to show up for yourself. And I really was lucky to have very supportive parents and siblings and people who, you know, were there to support me. But it was it was hard as much as it was joyful. Yeah, that's interesting where it's like the thing that you love and it's bringing you joy is also the thing that's getting you like bullied. That, yeah. Like, so it's not like, it's like an escape, but not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I just, you know, it's interesting because I, um, the year after that, a lot of the bullying happened a year after that I was invited by the governor at the time of, of the state of California to travel on this national team and go, we went to eight countries in Europe in two weeks and performed in these amazing theaters and things like that. And it was like, you know what I mean? It's like it served a purpose in the end. I got to like really see something. I got to see the world. I got to do what I love to do. I got to be around like 
other people that were so good at what they did. It was just, I mean, it was, it was really rewarding to stick with drumming because it taught me so much in the end. And so, um, what, so, okay. So you go to school for journalism. Yeah. And I was doing music at the same time. And then <laughs> the commitment of, of being a musician in college is far more intense than high school. And so it was that through this college then too? Yeah. Yeah. At okay. San Diego state. And so I had a great time. It was, it was really fun, you know, playing in, in big stadiums and things like that and, and doing amazing concerts. And, um, but ultimately when school got really hard, I sort of had to choose which was going to get my attention. So I chose to, um, focus on my studies and, and sort of take a break from the drumming. And I remember having a class in advertising where we had to draw sort of a sketch, uh, like a scene for a commercial in my undergrad. And I thought, Oh my God, I have no artistic ability. Like I, everything was like stick figures. And I was like, this is not good. This is, this is not telling of this path I want to go down. Um, then I, I met with the Dean of our program. He said, you know what? I, you can argue your way out of any situation. I honestly think you should focus on PR because all of my best classes were like speech and debate, anything where like I had the floor and could talk was like felt at home for me. So interesting. Like, I think that's interesting just, coming back from like the shy background. Right. Too. And I do think the performing element and then being bullied. Yeah. Yeah. Fed that. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up switching to PR and loving it. Everything except communication law, which was a terrible, terrible class. Um, but I, you know, I, in my final year of college, there was sort of this one internship everybody wanted. And it was the one that paid and it was at the best agency in Southern California and everyone wanted it. And uh, so of course, I I wanted to win that spot. Like my competitive, you know, antenna went up and um, I ended up faxing because that was the time faxing a press release to the CEO and president of that company a press release of an announcement that they'd already hired me. They didn't even know who I oh was. Oh my God. That's amazing. They had no idea who I was. And they were like, who is this girl? Like, this is hilarious. And they called me and brought me in for an interview. And the president was a drummer. So we had a lot to talk about. And I got the position on the spot because I was like, I'm not going to go the normal way. I'm not going to go and just fill out the application. So I, I literally wrote a press release how they'd already hired me. And that is so <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and it worked and, and I, I enjoyed my time there. But, you know, very quickly was uh, feeling as if maybe that type of agency environment wasn't the best fit for me. And that's when I got into publishing. So. And so, yeah. So, but you went to school thinking broad cast journalism like when you because I didn't know like I wanted to be a live sound engineer but I didn't know what it was called and so like I went to a college and was studying music business at first like I like knew what I wanted to do but didn't know. like when you had that idea of the broadcast journalism like what did you think that like what did you think your job would eventually want to be yeah I think like a, a newscaster or something like that or going out and getting the story and reporting on it but would you go into undergrad I mean we know this but you 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 don't get to sort of siphon down your interests that narrow when you first go in. So I was like communications, they put me in journalism and advertising as sort of my emphasis quickly eliminated the advertising element with the drawing. And then, um, 
But yeah, they thought you did would be good in PR. They, yeah, they said this is actually where we think you should focus, and and so I I switched and didn't look back. And I I probably I feel like I'm not a lot of people graduate college and actually go into their field. And no, totally not. That's why I was just even like, what did yeah, what did you think you were going to be, and then what actually like happened? Because yeah, it's like we have an idea, like oh, I think that would be good. And I then- was grateful for the heads up from from the department that like maybe you should consider this because it probably saved me a lot of time just like fiddling with different jobs and roles and finding my way. Yeah. So okay, so you worked at that PR agency that you won the spot at for a while, and then you moved to publishing. And was that like something like a general interest, or were you just like? They were no. like, you know, like, how did you end up moving into publishing? My parents still laugh because I was the kid that when you would wait in line to buy your books every semester for school, I just went to the line for the cliff notes. I was not a reader. I wanted the cheat sheets on everything that I had to read because I, I could never finish a book growing up. So my parents think it's very funny that I work in publishing. But at the time, I had, I had thrown my resume up on Monster, which I'm not sure if it's still a thing, but job search engine, and sort of forgot about it. I was launching some very cool projects at the agency for like WD-40 and Sony. And so I was, I was busy and kind of forgot that I put that resume there. I wasn't super active about it. And I got a call from, from Hay House, uh, which was also in Southern California, not a lot of publishers in Southern California. Um, and they said, you know, we'd love for you to come up. And, and I said, Oh, thank you, but I'm not interested in publishing. And they said, well, let's, let's share a little bit more about the company and what we do. And, and it sounded really amazing. It was a small company. They were doing work that felt really different from anything I'd ever done before. Everyone that worked there was wearing leggings and flip-flops and I rolled in for my interview with like a leather bound portfolio in my black suit and was like, oh, okay, we don't do that here. Um, but ended up falling in love with the people um, that worked there. It was just, it seemed so um, just mission driven and and cool. And it just was, you know, I was in my early 20s. I'm like, why not take this chance in this new industry that I know nothing about? And so I came in on the on the PR side. So what was that like too, if you weren't like, someone who was into, cause also back then, I mean, I think that Payoffs now has more varied, uh, authors and offerings, but I'm assuming back then it was very much like super wellness, uh, like yes. work goalish. Uh, I'm trying not to use. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like, it was, yeah. it was very firmly new age, <laughs> not even a wellness new age. It there was you new go. Age. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, and that was actually the category that was, um, that was the section in the bookstore that is the market, uh, or was at that time. And so, yeah, coming off of those Sony McDonald's, all of those launches, and then looking at angel and goddess Oracle cards and going, Oh, wow, this is a new world for me. Um, but interesting, right? Like this must keep the job fresh. And I think that it's, at that time, I remember in those early PR days, I mean, it was so hard to get media for authors that were writing in new age and spirituality because it just wasn't mainstream yet. And so again, always loving a challenge. Um, I said, yeah, like, let, let me see what I can do here. And um, at that time, it was so small. The company was maybe 30 employees. I don't know. It was just, it was so small. Um, back then. And so everyone's work really mattered, you know, so we were, we were really um, dedicated to, to trying to get all these media placements for authors that uh, wouldn't otherwise 
be seen. And so that's what, yeah. So like as the PR role, that's what you're, you're trying to like pitch the books, offerings, decks, whatever to be, yeah, whether, yeah, cause back then it's like, yeah, what was it? Like magazines or <laughs> magazines, you know, like, radio shows, radio. yeah, TV, everyone wanted the Oprah spot, which I was lucky to book, I think seven times in my career. So that, you know, it's, it, once sort of notable celebrities started speaking more openly about their spiritual practices or what they believed in, or even um, manifesting or meditating, you started to see other shows and other outlets perk up to say, okay, maybe we can dabble in this space a little bit. Um, So, you know, and it's grown so much. I mean, spirituality now comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. um, But back then it was, it was pretty, you know, woo woo. It was new age. Yeah. So what, um, so you were there for a while and then what created, like what made you want to leave and did you leave to start something on your own right away or? I did. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, I spent 15 years there quite a long time and half of that time was in California. And then half the time was here in New York. Uh, I came to New York to start the New York office with um, the acquiring editor, Patty. Um, And we, who is now publisher, who you must know. Uh, So, you know, we started out just to have more of a scene in, in, you know, the publishing space and be part of the industry out here and take meetings with agents and talent as they shopped around all the New York publishers. And it was fun. It was so cool to move here and so cool to just be a part of publishing in a bigger way and get to... Were you like single when you moved? I was single when I moved. Because now it's like married yeah. with a kid. But obviously, like I know that like, your kid is young, but also... Like, I'm not, so so was that like a huge like opportunity? Like, oh yeah, I'll move to New York. Or were you like, oh, I don't know. It was. It's funny because I, I didn't go away to college really because I never felt ready to go away. So I went to sort of my local school, which happened to be a great school for communication. So that worked out. Um, but this felt like my big, this was like my big moment, right? And I was the first person in my family to move away. Everyone's still in Southern it's a California. a pretty big move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sold my car. I had just bought a house about a year before. Um, so trying to sell the house while trying to find an apartment on a budget. And um, the New York apartment scene is frightening from for people that don't know it. So um, it was very high stress, um, but so worth it. And I've just felt very ready to do it. If I had just come out of a long term relationship, like the year before the house, like all of it felt like this really cool new start. So yeah, and I, I quite enjoyed the move. And I met my husband actually like eight months after I moved here. So pretty quickly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, so you decided to leave. Oh, yeah. I ha- well, so yes, I didn't answer your question. The answer is that I had my son in 2018. And um, I was a downright workaholic. Like I thrived on juggling 20 things at a time and being on call at all hours and doing all the things and overachieving. And it, and it was, it served me for a time until it didn't. And so I went out on maternity leave um, and pretty quickly after, you know, probably six, seven weeks of maternity leave, um, I started going out and listening to podcasts at coffee shops. I was like my little outing away from the baby and just my, my bread, my, my bread, my, my brain was ready to sort of fire again in a work capacity. Um, but I wasn't going back to work yet. So I was just listening to podcasts and just, you know, 
learning new things. And I sat down and, and thought, what, what could my life look like if I did only the things that I wanted to do for work and not the things that I felt I had to do? And what would it look like to have more time freedom? Which sounds very cool before you actually say yes to entrepreneurship and realize there, <laughs> there isn't a lot of time freedom in those early years. Um, but I started to sort of sketch out a business plan of what it would look like to um, do all the parts of the job that I really loved and leaving behind the ones that I didn't. Like I didn't love managing a team. I didn't like, I didn't love, um, you know, sort at of that point where you like, yes, yeah, so you were like yeah, head of a PR. I was, team. yeah. got exactly right. I was a director and I, I didn't get to, my hands dirty as much as I wanted to. And I think what I was were talking, the parts that you loved or a few of them. I really just love sort of innovating and brainstorming. So, you know, I was talking to a literary agent the other day and, and he also has a PR background and he had said that he wanted to be a literary agent because he wanted to be on the development side because for so long he launched books where he thought, gosh, I love this author, but I wish they would have written something else. And so it's, it's, it's not all that different from that. I really love the idea generation. And because I've, I've honed that muscle for so long from PR and marketing, I really wanted to help people do it with their books, like help the people that didn't have the roadmap to get published and help them take the 20 million ideas floating around their brain and create the marketable book idea that's going to sell. And so, you know, sometimes, like I said, you have to look outside of yourself for those things. When you're the actual author and the creator, it's very hard to do that and understand the marketing and industry trends. So I really just wanted to get my hands dirty on the development side. Um, and I loved the acquisitions role that I did for the last couple of years at Hay House um, when I was also doing PR and marketing. I so loved acquisitions role would be? Reading the proposals and meeting with literary agents and the talent and buying books and being a voice in that process. And I started to identify all these things that people were really missing in their book proposal that would have made the difference personality not being in their document or not taking the time to really spell out their marketing commitments or putting too many ideas in one book or, uh, you know, just it just not showing up in the way I hoped that they would because they probably didn't have all of that guidance. But I thought I could actually do those pieces with them. And so I came back to work after maternity leave and, and had this sort of business plan for my someday when, you know, someday... A couple of years from now, you know, when I feel like taking this leap, I have this idea for a business. And I went back to work and I just, um, I wasn't ready to step back into the hustle that I had been doing for so long. It no longer felt like I, um, like the shoe fit. And so I decided to, to leap into this new business four years ago. And it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. And it's just, it's gives me, a lot more purpose. And I feel like I'm able to serve people in such a bigger capacity. And what, so having that like idea and vision, you have so much experience, but then still like, oh, how am I going to like actually do this? When you, did you start to like put out feelers before you officially left Tay House or did you just leave and then like like, how did you first start putting yourself out there? Because yes, you were had, had so much years of experience, but not as in a, hello, hire me. I have, you know, like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't you. do anything while I was still at Hay House. It didn't feel... Um, 
like the right sort of ethical thing for me to do. I really just wanted to finish out my role there. And I'd obviously had... You just knew you were done and you were going to create something. And I'm really lucky lucky to have a a best friend who is a, a branding agency. And so I sat with her when I first had the idea and said, like, what could this actually look like? Right? I've never built a business before, but here's what I'd love to do. And she's like... Well, here it is, you know, and we talked about it. We brainstormed and we talked about offerings. And so I really got outside support to help me look at, you know, here's all the things I love. How do I actually make this a business? Um, And so after I left Hay House, obviously from just being in the business for so many years and, and having great connections all over the industry, when I left, people were saying, how can I support you? You know, like what do you, what do you need from me? And they're and and they still ask. And I think because right, even if you're leaving a job after 15 years, and they're just like, oh my gosh, you're leaving. Well, what are you up to? Like that's a natural question yeah. of like, oh, well, where are you going? Oh my yeah. goodness! Like they want to know, and so you just be like, oh, I'm gonna start something. You're not even like trying to pitch yourself. It's just people are generally like, oh, what's no, happening? I wasn't ready to pitch myself because I yeah. didn't even know what it was going to look like fully yet. So talk about the leap. I knew what I knew from the the business idea that I wrote down was that this iteration of the business could could serve a lot of different parts of the industry. Obviously, it helps the authors. It helps the agents because they get a lot of pitches from people that they're like, wow, they seem cool, but their idea isn't kind of worked out yet or they need a proposal period or they need a proposal reboot, what have you. So they send me a ton of business. Like My business is really very referral-based because agents all over the industry send people to me so that the product gets done, you know, the proposal gets done and they can sell it very quickly. So once that started happening and then agents talk to agents and talk to agents, I became a resource for them. And then also authors that were coming in very green and said, I don't know anything about this industry, but I really want to write this book either to tell my story or to create change or to enhance my business or what have you. And I could sort of bring them under my wing and and teach them everything that they needed to know. Um, And then for publishers, you know, publishers, uh, their editors and things like that want their authors to hire resources to talk about how to launch their book, right? How to be active on social media and teach and create, you know, valuable content. So I became a resource for publishers as well. So it just sort of unfolded in a very strange way that I give a lot of credit to just, as they say, spiritually keeping my side of the street clean, but just always operating in integrity and in service. And all of these people came to meet me. So it just, it was a really cool thing. That's right. I'm forgetting that. Yeah. When I first, uh, you know, like looked into whatever that, yeah, like it seemed that you you're originally were or not originally when I found you again, that it was like, oh, part like help the book proposal, but it almost felt like your website back then was more focused on building platform, platform and like, yeah, like the after the book or like the, yeah, the PR side or whatever, which makes sense if that's your background. Yeah. Does, do you still do that? Or did it just end up being like that you found more fulfillment or there was just more interest in the like book proposal like stages? Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the first you know year or two of my business was more platform heavy because I hadn't quite 
figured out that I wanted to sit so fully in the book proposal space. I was doing a couple. And when those couple went really well, I thought, okay, this is this, I like doing this. Like this is really collaborative. This is fun for me. Um, and so it it became sort of a 50-50 split. And now I think it's it's more 70-30. I do about 70% book proposals, 30% platform or launch strategy. So um I love to do all of those things. So it's this is what I mean about you know, I check in with myself, like when I checked in with this business coach, you know, the last couple of months, and she said, do all of these parts of the business still fill you up? Like, is do you still want to focus here? And so we kind of fiddle with the the time equation of how much time I spend in each one of those buckets. Um, but it's they all play together. So my clients that come to me for platform building, then come back for their proposal, then come back to launch their book. And so I love being part of that. I love being part of like their whole journey. So it's why so many of my clients become friends because we get to work together for so long. Um, and I'm so excited because now you have started to write your own book proposal. Yeah. And like what made you start to be like, oh, <laughs> maybe oh, yeah. this is something I also want to do. <laughs> Like, is it again, like more interest in people wanting, like just seeing that interest that they're like, oh, maybe I also want to do this or like, yeah, like. Yeah, it's a few things. I mean, it's funny because if you talk to any of my clients from like the early years of my business, they'd be like, I'm never writing a book. You know, I'm never doing this thing. Like, I like to support people on this journey, but I'm never going to become an author. And then simultaneously, as I launched the podcast and people got to experience me in that capacity, I started getting a lot of people saying, when are you going to take all of this and put it in a book? And then an agent asked me and said, I would love for you to do this as a book. And so she is keeping me accountable. By is it an agent that you like knew? <laughs> it's an agent I knew. Work with, yeah. Like you had worked with their clients and then they were like, uh, hello. Exactly. Exactly. You are standing on something, but I. <laughs> That's it. And and she said, like I've seen, I've like we've we did over a million dollars in deals last year. Like it's just, she's like you you teach it in a different way, and it's it's really amazing. You know what you do in collaboration with people, like how now that I've seen you do the podcast. And, you know, how can we turn this into a book? So I have been working on the proposal at a snail's pace. So I'm literally. Like when the teacher becomes a student, all the same things come up for me. They come up for my students. They're like, oh, there's already books out there on this. Oh, you know, does anyone care? Like all of those very human emotions that I talk people around every single day come up for me too. So I luckily like you have the tools to move through it. Uh, but I would say that it will be done. It'll be done by the fall. But I'm I'm working on a few new business arms right now. So that's taking my focus. I'm so excited for you. And yeah, I think we were talking before we hit record where I was saying like, you know, in a world where it can seem like if you're in that world, maybe not for you out there listening, it seems like everybody has so many offerings and courses and this. But I think especially like what you have and your expertise and your background, but like it is such a unique thing that like, so many people out there, I'm sure have this, oh, I would love to write a book one day thing. And yeah, you just don't know how. Or I was saying beforehand too, that like part of what didn't make me sit down and actually start the proposal. Well, apparently I did over 10 years ago in these random New York spots that I'm Facebooking everywhere that I am at. Oh my gosh, Facebook back then. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, 
It seems far more civil back then. I'm just like laughing, like, why was I logging into the right this? Okay, I'm glad I now have it now to be reliving that (laughs) forever. All those reminders that are going to pop up. But like I was like waiting sort of for someone to tell me like, this is what your book is about or like for someone to come to me and be like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Uh, let, you know, like I'm an agent, I want to represent you. And then they would tell me like what it was going to be about. Like one of my biggest problems was I have so much to say. Yep. So that is a very common first time (laughs) author problem is it's like, I have 10 ideas. How do I make this one book? And the whole goal is to not create reader overwhelm, right? The book can't be so overwhelming that people don't do the work. Um, But I think that that's so, so common. And every once in a while, an agent will scout talent and say, have you considered writing a book? But that is very rare. I think more often than not, you know, you've got to have that really strong book proposal and uh, get into the right hands, which is another part of the job I love is being a connector for my clients that don't have agents is connecting them to people that I think would be good at representing them. Yeah, I love that. And I just think like, again, for people out there, it's like you might have too, like whether you've been working in a career or job for something, you know, a long time. And it's like you might, you probably have so many skills and passions that if you wanted to, you could bring to life in a different way. Like I think what you've created for yourself is so amazing and what like how, like for you, but also how many people you are like truly like helping and supporting and like inspiring. And that like, again, like your story is so great of what you're doing is like every, like I'm always like, if anybody says, oh, I would run out a book too. And I'm like pointing them to you. And yes, most people always have the same thing as me. Like, oh, well, how much does she charge? Like, <laughs> they don't want to like, and I'm like, but trust me, <laughs> if you really want to write a book, then like you need to see this woman, like, you know, but it's just, again, like of that, you took that leap and that chance and that pausing to be like, oh, well, what are my favorite parts? of what I do. And then also you mentioned the conversation with you had with someone. Like I think those conversations I had that yesterday. I'm having I'm having a week of like sort of like not even a week, a period of I'm so excited my book is coming out and that's exciting, but also like, okay, time to figure out some other things in my life. And like where do I want to be putting my time and energy into creating besides like the book that is coming out and that in like in sort of feeling this weird energy. And I yesterday just went over to a friend's to borrow, to get, not borrow, to get ice because my ice maker is broke. <laughs> and I wanted <laughs> ice want coffee. <laughs> and I wanted ice coffee. And I ha- I just happened to like say, I was like just trying to sneak in real quick, get some ice. And she was like, you know, and I had a moment of like, yeah, I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And what I want to offer anymore. And all of a sudden she gave me like an idea. And it was an idea, honestly, we talked about years ago and never, we were both too busy or whatever she like said something to me and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, oh, right. Or even I'm like, I don't even ever like, I try to focus sometimes so big and some so deep. And it was like the simple things. It was like, you know, like Trisha, what about, and I was like, well, what do she like talking about? Like t- talking to corporations. I'm like, well, why would I help corporate employees? I don't know. And I'm trying to make it too hard. And it's like, well, maybe what if like just daily finding daily joy and purpose in your lives. Like it's the fucking simplest thing that like my mission and anything I've ever been, it's like, just live your life you know, like own your eyes, but like everything is like so simple, but I try to make it so hard and so deep to look for these problems to solve. And it's, we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate (laughs) it. I mean, it's the same place books start. I ask people like, what are your readers pain points? What are they struggling with that you are going to help relieve? Like that is 
I mean, that's why we hire people and that's why we invest in products and buy books and courses and all the things is because we have something deep inside of us that needs some assistance from somebody else or needs some clarity. Yeah, that's funny. I, I just finished working with the the business coach, as I mentioned, and and I was saying to a girlfriend this morning, I was like, I I loved every moment of that time that we spent together and I learned so much but I would pay for it all again for this one sentence that she has me ask myself every day. Like we did frameworks. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) It's a a reminder for me. Um, But it was this singular thing. We did so much work together, but it was a singular thing that stood out to me as being so impactful. That's like, wow, I, I could have never thought of that one thing myself, even though it's so simple. I, w- I wouldn't have... It was, it was the permission that I needed in a weird way. So um, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be top of mind for me now. Yeah. So anyway, whether you listening out there, just a reminder, like get outside of yourself. And whether that means you hire somebody, you invest in yourself, or even have a conversation with somebody who will actually listen to you. Not just go talk to somebody who's not paying attention or is just gonna be like, "Uh uh-huh, that sounds great. Like, who's the person that can actually like, you know, listens and sees you or whatever. It's just like, you just never know. And like, but just sometimes saying things out loud, sometimes it's me even. It's like once I've started to tell somebody about whether it's even something I'm stressed about or something this, and I'm just talking, then it comes out of me and I'm like, oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that one of the most, you know, in, in the sort of core pillar of of transparency. Um, one of the hardest, but most loving things that I do for people is tell them when they're not ready to write their book. And that's hard. It's hard for people to hear, but I can have a sense of when they need to go and write for their own healing and when they're ready to write a book that's going to sit on bookstore shelves. And I would say that they, first of all, they receive it with such love as it's intended. But often they circle back when they are ready and they are like they have such clarity and insight and they're connected to that why and they know how they want to show up. Um, but it is it is hard telling people that maybe they should sit with it a little bit more until the timing is right. And people, also, some people like, want to dive in financially. They go, take all my money. I want to do this thing. And, and it's not the right time. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say yes to that. It has to really, it has to be the right time for them. Wow. And that is like that would be painful to receive, but also like so powerful and the f- that you're the type of person that is like, no, sit with this instead of like, okay, I'll take your money. And like, you can make up a proposal, but I'm pretty sure it's. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like, it's not mean spirited. It's just that, um, what happens when just to kind of give the result of like, if you do move forward in, in that mindset or in that timing, that isn't ideal is that you will change your book idea about 10 times you will write a proposal and go back and change it and go back and change it and go back and change it because you're changing and you're healing. And so that timing is not, is not going to result in the best product. You're not going to create the impact perhaps that you hoped you would. So the writing during that time is much more for self than it is in develop a development of the book idea. And that's so like, how can you tell that? Um, just through conversation, right? I go pretty deep with people in these consults. So I, I, I like to know their motivations. I do ask them the three questions, the what's the problem? What's the solution? Why you? And so they'll sit with that why you for a little bit. That's, um, 
usually the moment it becomes a little bit more clear to me. Um, but also, you know, there's there's people that want to write a book very quickly because they want to integrate it into their business. And it's and it's not re- maybe the right timing or I have to talk to them about the reality of how long it takes or how many hours to expect each week and time away from their business and all of that. So li- from a logistical standpoint, too, you know, it, it doesn't always make sense for people in that moment. But um, usually just through talking to them as a human and getting to know them a little bit, I can, I can tell. And I, I, I give them the advice of, you know, sitting with it and then, and coming back to me if they feel differently, of course. Um, but, you know, I think that there's so much that I'm, I'm putting out there that's, that's free for people and, and good resources that they'll spend their time kind of sinking in there a little bit and then coming back to me and going, okay, I've got it. Like I'm ready now. And, and that's, what's been so great about the podcast too, is they come back to me after kind of absorbing all of that and, and doing some of that homework. Yeah. I mean, I think like part of too, you know, again, thinking back to like when I first was like exclaiming to the world that I was writing my book. <laughs> And the, from the Facebook memories. A blessing and that, a curse, that is. <laughs> you know, to like stuff like that, it can feel like, well, now I have to do this thing because I said, like, I should do this thing because I said I would. And what will people think of me? And that's, I mean, and that is what, you know, I have a whole chapter on like this fear of being judged and that we are constantly without realizing like this, what will people think of me or what will this mean? If I said I was going to do this thing and I'm not doing it or, or there also could be like, what does this mean about me that I haven't written a book yet? Or that so-and-so we go in comparison of like this person did this and they have a book out. So I need, should write a book now. And look, so let me write this book. Okay, here, let me sit down and push out a proposal and I'm going to hire the person that everybody says to, and we're going to make this work. And like that it is a lot of like these shoulds and like trying to keep up an appearance for ourselves and others instead of being like, yeah, I said all that stuff. And then I realized I wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I always say that there's three main points of resistance that someone who wants to become an author will experience. And it's overwhelm, vulnerability, and comparison in that order, right? The, The overwhelm is like, there's so many options. What do I do? Who do I need to hire? Do I need support? Should I just wing it? Like all of these things. Vulnerability is like, oh my gosh, and now I'm going to be seen. Now I have to, like, I'm going to talk about this process or I'm going to share part of myself people don't know in the material. And then comparison is the looking around and going, but people are already talking about this. Or like you said, so-and-so wrote a book. Now I have to hurry up and doing it. It's comparing our process to everybody else. And I see it pretty consistently, whether I'm talking to a first-time author or someone that's written four or five books. It's it's just part of the human experience where we're <laughs> we're getting in our own way. Um, and you know, I I do really believe that that so many people need to share their stories. So I I, I appreciate when people um, do get support for it. Okay, I'm gonna get to the questions I ask everybody. First, I sent you um, an image of keychains that I sell in my product line. I asked. I'm going to ask you, not which one do you like the most, but which one you feel you want as a reminder in your life right now and why? Yeah. Yeah. I chose everything is going my way because, um, like I said, I am, I'm starting to operate in my business differently. I'm starting to put myself out there in a bigger way. I am creating a new um, product in my business. And like anybody else, self-doubt creeps in. 
capabilities of like, can I do this? Do I have the time to do this? Like getting bogged down in like the logistics and letting that take my intention instead of just doing the thing. So that sort of calming statement and affirmation for me that that this idea wouldn't be on my heart if it wasn't there for a purpose and it is okay for everything to go my way. Thank you for choosing that and re-reminding me. That was my like that was my keychain, that was my insulated coffee mug that I was drinking out of for years and I kind of uh was just like, "Okay, yeah, yeah," and push it to the side, not like it was just like, "Yeah, of course everything's going my way." But Again, before we started recording, I was talking about how this week I am now in the like book promotion mode and trying to pitch myself. And so I am battling these feelings of like, my book is awesome and you need it to like, nobody cares and blah, blah, blah. And like trusting that the book is going to land and, you know, people will whatever. And so I'm like, when you were talking, I was like, oh yeah, Trisha, you, it's time for you to reclaim that one too. And to every day be telling yourself everything is going your way. Even if you don't hear back from people or get no's or whatever, like, Everything is going my way. I don't see how it's all unfolding, but it is. Yeah. And I have a a very dear friend who was a client and still is a client, um, but she does a lot of um, offerings in her business that are similar to what I'm developing. And, And she said to me, like, don't get bogged down in the logistics. Just do it. Just do it. Because I will easily wait for all circumstances to be perfect before I, I make the time to do it. And she's like, no, you just, you just got to do the thing, do the thing. So I have her in my mind too, but everything is going my way. That's good. And I'm like your friend. I'm the opposite. I'm just like, I'm the like opposite of perfect. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let me send the messy email. Into this and I'll like, do I need these, even though I've never proofread. Do I need $5,000 worth of equipment or do I need this or do I need that? <laughs> and she's like, no, sit down, sit down. So. <laughs> Okay. The next question is, is what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? <gasps> Music and dancing. Do you want an actual tactical thing? Yeah. That, there's, there's me in a nutshell. Did I answer correctly? Um, <laughs> yeah. Music like, and dancing. I, I wasn't sure if you wanted like a phrase, but yes, it is for sure putting on music, dancing. I have Friday night dance parties with my husband and my son. And it is we love to just like shake out the energy. And I, I do think that like it's no mistake that, that the drumming happened, you know, way back when because music is just in my DNA. So yeah, love that. And that's I mean, I like to ask that question and just to put it feels mine because again, like we can do like we have access to these small things that when we're in the doubt and the comparison and the everything's so hard, like, oh, what's something I can do to just give myself a little joy right now? Something yeah. small. Something easy. And on the weekends it's a dirty martini, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I ask everybody this phrase, what is easy or to apply this phrase to their own life, what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. It could be like a habit yeah. or a way of being. What's easiest for me is to do, but what's best for me is to breathe. Mm, love that. I am trying to get out of the busy, busy mindset. So what space and taking a moment and not just snapping into action is a big, big lesson for me. Love that. Um, All right. The final question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel it's so easy to fall into the trap of like, if I do this, be this, say this, keep going, then I'll 
be enough, worthy, successful, fulfilled, whatever. And that if we put attention on what it is that we want to feel, we can actually work to claim that in any moment, no matter what we've done that day or in life period. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I am claiming fulfillment and ease and joy and being able to continually show up in service in just exponential ways because that makes me so happy but i'm i'm claiming that it is easy yes if we let it <laughs> if we, are we so let it that everything has to be hard and this and perfect and that and it's like yeah what if we just be easy yeah i agree <laughs> i agree that's a good reminder awesome thank you so much rochelle thank you for having me this was so fun and i can't wait to have your book in my hands yay I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, go find more about Rochelle, rochellefredson.com. She's at Rochelle Fredson. Her podcast is Bound and Determined. Of course, make sure that you have pre-ordered my book at ftheshouldsdothewants.com and claim your bonuses. Again, check your spam if you'd entered your info and you don't see an email. Uh, you can also DM or email me if you are not finding it. Please go get the book. I am so passionate about it and really go deep. And I just want you to to read it and try it. And um, it's such a simple concept, uh, but it goes really, really deep. And it's much deeper than just like, hey, F the shoulds, do the ones, just do what you want. And don't do the shoulds. I'm going to expose a lot in the book. And there's lots of other tools in there too that are simple. But again, deep. Go get it. F the shoulds, do the once.com. Thank you so, 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 so much if you've already pre-ordered it. And all right, what are you claiming for yourself right now? I loved what Rochelle claimed. Let it be easy. Let life be easy. Let whatever you've got on your plate be easy. Let making dinner be easy. Let, you know, moving your body be easy. Let it be easy. Claiming that it's easy. Claiming ease. 